Welcome to Open Source Sustainability. I'm Alex Lassiter, CEO of Green Places. On this show, I talk with sustainability leaders to learn how companies are adapting their business models to be in line with sustainability goals. We believe sustainability has to be open source to be successful, and these leaders have offered us a glimpse inside their strategies in the hopes that we can all move forward together. We're fascinated by some of the unique challenges these sustainability leaders face and are excited to dive deeper. In this episode, I'm talking with Scott Wingo, co-founder and CEO of Spiffy. Scott Wingo is a name synonymous with innovation, disruption, and success. As the co-founder and former CEO of Channel Advisor, he has revolutionized the way brands and retailers navigate the complex e-commerce landscape. Scott's knowledge and experience led him to embark on new ventures, seeking to reshape the industry once again with Spiffy, an on-demand mobile car wash and detailing company. In this episode, we'll be talking about the earth-conscious decisions that he's made on his path to create a cleaner car cleaning business. From reclaiming water to containing oil contaminants, Spiffy's goal is to make getting your car washed more convenient and carbon friendly. Scott, welcome to Open Source Sustainability. Very, very excited to have you today on the podcast. We appreciate you taking the time. Maybe we could start off with a, a quick, tell us a little bit about Spiffy. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, so Spiffy, I started, I'm a serial entrepreneur, and this is my fourth company. So started this in 2014. I come from the e-commerce world, and I previously had invested in a car wash, a physical car wash. And I had my first Uber experience around 2012. So the idea was, I was thinking, I think services are going to go digital. Um, and by that, I mean, just like e-commerce, uh, retail went digital in the form of e-commerce. Um, I felt like services had an opportunity to be a lot better. And once you have like that first Uber style experience, it's app based. Now you have control of the situation versus the service provider. Um, and it's mobile and, and very modern and you pay digitally, all those things that that was going to be an exciting wave of innovation as an entrepreneur. I wanted to, to ride that wave. And so started Spiffy to really explore that in 2014. And what we do is mobile car care. So, so first of all, we come to you. So it's built around convenience because everyone lives very busy lives. And we want to we wanna, uh, take this kind of old school way of car care where you go and leave your car for a long period of time and, and it's very painful or you wait in the lobby, also painful. Uh, and we want to eliminate that. So we come to you as the first part of it. But then we layer on a digital experience. So there's an app based. We can text you however you want to interact with us. We will interact that way. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's the gist of what we do at Spiffy. So we started in 2014 with car wash, uh, and detail. Then we've added an oil change tires and brakes. So those are our four core consumer services. Um, we do, we do a lot of other services for fleets, but that's on the consumer side. And we started in one market. Now we're in 30 and another 20 with franchise partners. So call it 50 markets. Um, and then the other way we think about, um, you know, how Spiffy operates is the, the type of customers. So, so about, uh, 20% of our business is consumer and 80% is fleet. And we deal with six types of fleets, rental car companies, government fleets, owned and operated fleets, uh, delivery fleet, fleets like Amazon, et cetera. So yeah, and just to give uh, folks an idea of scale, we have about 600 technicians across the country. Uh, we're only in the US, um, uh, the 50 the 50 locations I mentioned. Um, and we're at about a 60 million run rate, just to give uh, folks an idea of the scale we are as, as it relates to kind of different startup. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in this uh, middle adolescence as a startup, working our way to adulthood. 
That's great. And the car wash business and obviously in car care, tell us a little bit about what is the intersection of that and sustainability? Like I know there's a, there's a spiffy green program and we can get deeper into that, but just where do those two things intersect and, and, and why, why even have that as a part of what you do? Yeah. So personally, I haven't done anything in sustainability till spiffy and um, it kind of, two things kind of happened simultaneously. Number one, I had a company channel advisor and, and that company went public. Um, so I was on this board of that even while starting spiffy. So, so the two things that happened simultaneously was there started to be a lot of information coming around out around ESG, DEI, and these types of things as it relates to public companies. So there's rumblings that the SEC was going to start to put out some guidelines. Also, being in e-commerce, we you know we know the Allbirds guys really well. There, there's a set of companies, Tom's, to go even kind of further back, that really took sustainability very seriously, and they found a customer for it. So that that's one one thing we can talk about. At the same time, at Spiffy, we were just really in you know you know startups really well, but for those that don't, we were you know in 2014 we were just kind of like we just had an idea, so we were in that like product market fit MVP kind of minimum viable product world. So we had just put an app out and had two vans, and we're operating it out of initially out of our car wash. And what we discovered very quickly was that in the physical car wash world, consumers are mostly on weekends. But when we put an app out there, everyone wanted their car washed on Thursday and then Wednesday, then Tuesday, then Friday, then Monday, and then the weekend. The weekend was actually lowest on their priority, whereas in the physical world, it was the highest. Um, And they wanted it done at office parks. So we started servicing customers at office parks um, and just like pick on Thursday was our spike day. And then we found that traditional office parks would not allow traditional detailers to be there. And we asked why, and they said, uh, you know, they had concerns around the the technicians being background checked and whatnot. The traditional mobile detail vans look like uh, they've they've uh, you know uh, they've been really beat up, and they they don't look great at a Class A office park. Uh, and then the third thing was insurance, but the fourth one was actually the most important. You know, they said we will not allow mobile detailing due to environmental concerns. And we that that was a shock. We had never even thought about that. And as we dug into it, what we found is traditional detailers, because time is money in this business, they use very very caustic chemicals, um, even hydrochloric acid. If you know modern like German cars, modern brake systems get a lot of brake dust on on the wheels. A way to save a lot of time on that is throw a little when you start the car service, throw a little bit of uh, hydrochloric acid. This isn't like you know pure acid that's going to eat the wheel, but a solution that includes hydrochloric acid, and you come back in thirty minutes and it's taken the brake dust off for you. You don't have to really you know deal with all the little inner workings of that car. Um, so, so we saw to solve that we had to get innovative, and that's where we said sustainability is going to be important here. And because, and it, 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 to me, I felt like it could be a double win for us at the time. I was like, let's invest in this because we have to, but it probably will also, you know, again, the knowledge that these e-commerce brands were seeing a lot, a customer that was really attuned to this. Um, I was thinking, well, it's, you know, it can't hurt. People aren't going to say, I won't use this because it's got sustainability. There'll be an audience that says, I really love it because it's sustainable. Um, so it felt like a double win. So that's what led us in, into this world. It's really interesting um, because what I'm hearing is uh, typically in these, sometimes you hear somebody say, this is very important to me, therefore I did it. It's something that we all should do. It's part of our responsibility. But the other piece of this that I'm hearing is this is very much aligned with your business objectives. 
like being able to service your customers from the very beginning in in this new fashion um it involved aligning sustainability with your actual like business outcomes that you wanted i'm curious as you've grown and and we're now in you know 2023 a business is a lot bigger some of this corporate pressure that we've seen around reporting requirements and you know bigger Fortune 500s like Amazon and places like that. Have you seen this move out of the office park? Are you seeing this with corporate customers in terms of sustainability and and working with them as a vendor? Yeah, it's pretty funny. So uh, just to continue the story. So to solve this problem, we, we iterated on this many times, but where we landed is we use very little water. We we still need to use water because that's the best thing for the vehicle. There's this waterless um, technology, but you end up... Uh, you know, as you know, here it works really well if your car is dusty, but if your car has bugs, tar, any anything on it that every car has, then you have to either leave that on the car or work so hard at it that it damages the car. Neither of those are good for the customer. Uh, and then there's also a steam solution. The steam one looks good. It's got this steam wand. Um, it's a little dangerous because it can burn the technician. So, so there's a safety issue there. But once you follow the hose back to the vehicle, they're all diesel powered. So you've got these like giant brown clouds of smoke coming out and acute steam on the front end. So it's a greenwashing-ish, I guess you would say. Uh, so so we're like, well, you know, let, let's let's stick to water. So that that we 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 stuck to water. And then we use very little water. So we get the water we use way down. We use very green chemicals. So we've done tons of iterations on this and landed on, you know, the, the opposite of what traditional detailers use. And then we another thing is our customer is this convenience for a consumer. So they, you know, we're we're constantly thinking of how do we take friction out of this. So we already had committed to bringing water with us. So we don't go somewhere and say, how do we connect, you know, Hey, Alex, I'm at your house. Can I come in and get some water? That would be weird or connect to your hose or something like that. We bring the water with us both in every situation. So we already had solved that. So then we figured, and it took a couple iterations on this, but where we landed is in physical car washes, there's all these EPA and local regulations around reclaiming the water. So when you go through a tunnel car wash, there's all this plumbing that takes that runoff, gathers it together in a tank, and then runs it through this thing called a reclamation system. I'm a software guy. Uh, I can't tell you what happens inside of there, but some magic happens. And then, you know, you put 99% clean water back into the sewage system, which the cities like. They like they like net, you know, uh, pullers, you know, they, they don't like net detractors of water. Um, so we put back almost all the water we use um, in the sewage system. They like a lot of clean water because that helps with whatever processing they do. Okay, so we did the same thing, and we at, we do it in the mobile context. So what happens is we wash every car on a map. It's a it's a blue tarp looking thing, and it's got a lip to it, and that catches all the runoff. It's like a little bathtub for your car. Then we suck the water out of there, back up onto the van into a second vessel that we've added, which is the gray water vessel. And then at the end of the day, we run that through a reclamation system. Every city we're in has a warehouse that has a reclamation system, just like a physical car wash would have. And so we basically took the physical world solution and, and made it work in a mobile context. Okay. So we did that early days to be able to do office parks. And then to answer your question, what, what we found is, you know, our technicians are great, um, but you don't want to have a lot of complexity out in the field. Our, the, the job is hard enough. And so we started adding these fleet clients. So then the technician said, well, if I use the reclamation system at, you know, Mrs. Smith's house, should I use it at rental car, you know, um, company 
A's uh, location. Our answers early on were like, no, nah, don't worry about it. And then they stopped using it at Mrs. Smith's house or office park. And we're like, well, that, that, that doesn't work. So, so our, 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 our rule is always, always use this. You, you could literally, you can get fired for not using our reclamation system. It's that important to us. Okay. So then, um, so some of our customers would say, why are you guys doing this? We don't really need this. And then, so it was interesting. And then like, so this is 2016, 2017, then 2018, 2019, every one of our big fleet customers hired a chief sustainability officer. So this is like U-Haul Hertz Enterprise, you know, uh, Amazon, obviously, uh, all these big customers. Um, and uh, a funny, uh, funny case study is one of them said uh, immediately, you know, like within a week of the CSO being hired, they sent out a note that said, cease all mobile operations. Um, and we were wrapped up in that. And we, you know, we knew we, we could guess why uh, it, it really just didn't say why, but we're like, okay, chief sustainability officer, they, they obviously see what we saw with traditional detailers. And, and also we do oil and mobile oil um, and we do that in a sustainable way too. So, uh, so we went and met with them and we said, we understand what you're doing here, but you know, this is part of our DNA. Let us show you what we do. So we did a demo and they said, you're approved. Um, so, so it actually worked for us. We're the only approved mobile vendor at this one customer because they, they're leaning into this so, so much. So, um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we got a win when we didn't really anticipate it. And, and, you know, we, we kind of, we're, we're early on this trend and it's helped us in many, many situations. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty fortuitous timing for that as well. Um, I was going to see as 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 you talk about these fleet businesses, one of the things that um, I'm sure you're running into is electrifications of fleet as well. So as the, well, I guess we could probably talk about a lot of changes in fleets in terms of cars on the lot and how they're managing their business going forward. But um, how do you think about electrification? Is it things that they've asked? have they asked you for things like that as they're trying to figure out as Hertz and, you know, Avis and all these types of folks are trying to figure out how to maximize um, their or how to transition to an electric electrified fleet. How does that involve Spiffy and have they, have they had conversations with you about it and, you know, sought for solutions? Yeah. So we're, uh, you know, because this is part of our DNA now we're, you know, the way I think about it is our carbon footprint is what it is. And then we're working to minimize it, but then we offset it. So, uh, you know, so hopefully the offsets can become zero over time. Um, but we still have to go do our business. So right now, unfortunately, in the EV land, the the cargo van that we use as our delivery mechanism is not there yet. Um, you can't get them. Um, the ones that are available. So so our default is that we use this uh, platform called a Transit. Um, it's a Ford product. Uh, that's our internal combustion engine that we use. Uh once once we hit Chippegeddon and the shortage of vehicles, we had to uh, we had to uh, we 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 now have lots of different vehicles on the road just from necessity. But we we wanted to be like Southwest where we just had one platform, but but the world fought against us on that. But anyway, so um, that's our platform. We we do have one transit on order. Um, we're concerned though because it has like a hundred and twenty mile range without any load, and we put a fair amount of load on. You know, we put a fair amount of stuff in the back, so we think it's going to get sub a hundred, which is not enough for us. But we'll get there. You know, the I've had a Tesla since two thousand twelve, and and you know the range has has you know creep in that last decade. You know, the 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 whole thing has gotten 
10 times better already. Um, so we'll, we'll get, we'll get there, but so we're, we're always investing and testing in that. Um, one thing we've done, for example, is one step is in our early. So, so we put a lot of equipment in the van because we want to have everything that makes your car look perfect, that does oil changes and all this type of thing and, and even tires. So early on we would have little uh, generators back there and gas powered things. So we now have gotten rid of all that. So we now have developed our own, this is where we had to go build our own. Um, so we built our own, we call it a penguin power pack. Um, and uh, penguin is our, our logo. And so we put these P3s in there and that is a lithium ion system we've developed um, specifically for Spiffy that powers all the things that that we need to to power um, to have electricity on the van um, in EVs that will we'll probably still need that because even as these come out, I don't think they have enough juice for us to run our stuff. So we're still going to augment it with our, our P3. Um, so that was step one is get rid of all the little ICE engines. So we've done that. Um, and then, you know, we have not received a lot of pressure from our clients to get carbon neutral, but you know, our aspiration is to be a public company and, you know, there's a lot of controversy out there. And, you know, I think one of the things we we believe strongly and so so it's nice because we we believe it. Um, we want to do it. It gives us a win with our customers. And this is an area that that people don't, uh, you know, uh, push against uh, is let's get sustainable and, and kind of continue to do this. So we're really focused on the E of ESG. And, you know, so and I think it'll be a win um, if and when we do go public. Well, one of the nice things about it, too, again, as I keep hearing this is all of these things are are very much in line with providing a better service for your customers. So these aren't necessarily trade-offs in many cases. It's not the Austerity measures that that does this. This is about providing the a, a better level of service that you had, a service that's more compliant with the cust what the customer needs, um, a service that's uh, you know better for the vehicle, better for the customer, um, and all of these things are, are are very much aligned with the business outcomes that you're looking for. Um, and but and which is which is unique because I think a lot of folks sometimes I think I think a lot of people sometimes have this feeling that that being more sustainable means providing less quality, but it's, it's actually been sort of the opposite in your case. Like these are ways for you to be able to serve better and make your customers happier. Yeah. And then one thing, you know, there's, there's always some positive unintended consequences. One of the, the unintended consequences of the mat we put out is it's kind of like a PT Barnum thing. It's almost like a, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, like a circus freak kind of a thing. So people see it and they're like, what's going on over there? And it builds curiosity. It's like it's part of the show. Um, another thing we learned early on is we, we foam the vehicles pretty aggressively. Um, you could argue car, we car wash, and you know, a purist would say we over foam the car. It doesn't hurt the car or anything, but you, you're, you know, we spend a little bit too much on foam. Um, but again, you know, there's something about seeing a soapy car and then we have the mat. And so it generates this, this whole, um, part of our, our brand is this, you know, you know, what is going on there? Let me go. I've never seen anything quite like this. Let me go explore it. So that's another unintended co consequence of, of making choices like this. The, on the, another one is, you know, when we, we, we wanted to, so, you know, in a lot of these things, they, they check three boxes. So, so getting rid of the gas powered stuff in the back of the van, that stuff fails all the time. And I don't know about you, but I, I hate yard work. And one of the things I hate is those stupid, 
you know, gas engine. I can never get it to start. And then just never when you give up and you're like a sweaty mess, then it like, it cranks up. And, and then it's it like my, does. it's my biggest failure of being an adult man is not being able to start a lawnmower. I just, I can't figure it out. It doesn't yeah. work. I pull my back out. I've ripped two of those cords in half before <laughs> I'm trying to pull it so hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so it's a high failure thing. And then customers complain about the noise, right? So it is, you know, it's got the angry mosquito kind of sound to it um, when we run these power washers and then the generators. Um, so now you see these things and they're just totally silent, you know, so, so the customer, so it wins, it's, it's, uh, you know, cheaper cost of ownership uh, and more reliable. So that's better customer service. You don't, you don't end up at the appointment and something doesn't work, which is a terrible uh, experience. Uh, it's quieter and it's uh, cheaper for us. So it, it, it checks three boxes. So, you know, and it's sustainable. Uh, so it checks four boxes. Well, what I love about this too is, um, this is just all really fascinating. And I know you can go to Spiffy Green and and take a look at the website and kind of read through it. But I would imagine, especially for some of your corporate customers and for probably a lot of your um, your residential customers, learning why you made these decisions is part of the fun, I think, of using the service. Like being able to understand why you do that, seeing somebody with a mat. And we've I've used Spiffy at my house a number of times. But being able to see that out there, you do get to engage with the person and say, why are you doing that? What does that mean? Why are you making these decisions? How does all this stuff sort of play into it? And I think that storytelling with your customers is, is I have to imagine, a, a, an engaging experience that most of your competitors don't get to have when they're just firing up an old detailing truck. Um, yeah. Another one we haven't talked about is oil change. We decided early on um, to go in through the dipstick. So we suck the oil out of the dipstick. Um, so we vacuum it out. So that's unusual because traditionally with an oil change, you lift the car uh, and then you drain it, use gravity to drain it through this thing called the plug. The reason we don't like to do that is the plug is very finicky. Uh, we do like 3000 oil changes a day and there's, it's very hard to get that plug in. The threads are very finicky. You can misthread it. You can overturn it, underturn it, and it's cataclysmic. So, so by doing it this way, it eliminates that that failure cycle. But it also, um, you know, really diminishes in, in gravity situations. You can imagine there's a lot of situations where oil could could get on the ground and run into to runoff water. Um, so because we're vacuuming it, it's a great demo. I've seen these old school folks that don't believe we can do this. And it's literally a clear straw that's about six feet long that goes from the vehicle to ours. And, you know, and you, you, you know, we turn a button and then the oil goes zoop and just gets sucked right into our van. And everyone's like, whoa, that was crazy. Um, and then, you know, the, so then uh, a lot, and again, a lot of these old school car care people then say, well, you haven't gotten the sludge out of there. But what you'll what you'll see is the drain pan has like uh, these ridges and concavity to it. We can actually you know move the straw around in there and get into those little concave things where gravity. If the if the drain plugs over here and there's a there's a you know area here, there's going to be oil there. We can actually vacuum that out, um, whereas a, a gravity is not going to get it. Um, so so it's kind of fun to go watch this you know kind of dispel all this stuff as part of demos that we do, um, and that's an example where we do it with oil change. And then we recycle all the oil. So this oil goes, uh, there's people that, that recycle oil and they, uh, and then most of the oil our larger fleets use is, is recycled oil. Y'all operate all over the country. Um, is it a challenge to open up new markets because you have to, I mean, the, the, the infrastructure around this from sourcing the materials to, like you said, reclamation f- facilities and oil recycling, it's, it, it, it does feel PT Barnumish. Like it is a traveling roadshow. Like for you to get into a market, you've got to make sure, 
are you? Fi- I guess my question is: Are you finding that every does every market have these things? Like, or do you have to depend and and work with? I don't know, with cities and other folks to make sure that those things are there. Like, how do you how do you guarantee in each market that all this stuff is available? We we've built all our own. I'm a big I'm a big believer in vertically integrating all this. So in uh, you know we're recording this. We're both in North Carolina. We're not together, but um, in Apex, North Carolina, we have a twenty thousand square foot facility, and it's eighty percent our van factory. So we build thirty vans a month. Um, never thought I would have a van factory, but I do. And um, and then twenty percent of it is we let's say we're going to open up a new area. Um, we we put everything we need on pallets and then we we have it shipped out there. So the water reclamation system, the oil containment systems, all these things that we're on version ten of and are, are at this point relatively proprietary. Um, we we put it all basically in a box and send it out there. So we don't really rely on the warehouse we're renting in vegas or sfo or wherever we are to have these things it's all part of the even for our franchises if if you you know if someone signed up a franchise for i don't know livermore or something um you know when they say all right we're ready then a truck shows up with our stuff and it's all very clear it's kind of lego blocks you know put this here do this do that even signage everything's like in a box um what do you think of of all of these is Obviously, I think all these are very, very interesting, but is there was there one sustainable challenge that you felt like just kind of took the cake? Was there one thing that you said we were looking at this and saying there's absolutely no way we can figure this out? Like what is the what's the biggest challenge that either you have solved or you've yet to solve that's that's that surprises you? Yeah, so early on, so around 2018, 2019, so it's before COVID. So we had done all this Fifty Green stuff, and then we had a Duke intern who's now our our, our head of strategy. And I, the first project I tasked him with was figure out how we could do carbon offsets too. So uh, we wanted to go ahead and get a hundred percent carbon neutral, if you will. And uh, I had done a little exploring on this and got frustrated within an hour because uh, you know uh, there's this phrase in gaming, "turtles all the way down." So you're you're you know, you, you you think you've got an answer and then you find the opposite answer and then you just ping pong back and forth. Um, today, you know, the the most of our information is like this. It's hard to know what's true or not. So we found this whole topic was was squarely in that world. So first of all, uh, to go figure out what our footprint was, we ran through several of these online calculators and we came out with diff- deltas of 10 to 20x. So, you know, one calculator, and I forget what it was, it would say, all right, you're like, five megatons or whatever. And then the other one would say 50 or 200. I was kind of like, well, that's, you know, sometimes if, you know, a pattern you see is if you get some things and they're within 20%, you like pick a middle and be like, feel like you're okay. This was like, I can't feel good picking a middle because there's like such a disparity here. Um, so that, so, so then we're kind of like, all right, well, we can't figure that out. Well, let's go figure out if we could figure that out, what offsets would we buy? And then, you know, we would go find something, you know, so I know Shopify and they're doing this Canadian tree project. And I was like, oh, let's do that too. And then someone would be like, that's the devil. You don't do that. That's the worst thing for the environment. You know, the they're killing spotted owls or something. I don't know. Uh, or, you know, trees are terrible and the worst things. And then you would go try something else. And everyone would say like, no, that's even worse. And, you know, all, and then, so it was very exacerbating. So uh, I was very excited uh, when you called with an idea and had, uh, uh, had solved this. So, uh, that was, uh, I knew you beforehand, but then you're like, Hey, I've got this idea. I was like, Oh my God, we would use this tomorrow. I think you were surprised when I said that. I was really surprised when you said that, but, but as we've gone on, 
Um, I was actually having a conversation with somebody about this this morning. It reminds me a lot of like, I think why people struggle with weight loss sometimes because understanding that there's, there's a million different diets and it's like understanding what contributes to, you know, weight gain or whatever could be everything from good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, trans fats, non-trans fats. And every week it's like, eggs are good for you, then it's eggs are bad for you. And then every time you eat something, it's it's this dizzying thing of like, I want something easy to measure so that I can actually make improvements. But the inputs are so vast. Like in y'all's case, you've got you've got uh you've got uh power, you've got water, you've got um you've got wastewater, you've got recycling streams, you've got physical products, you have vans, you have all these different things to sort of contribute to it. And so it can be dizzying for any business that wants to actually start doing these things. And I think a lot of us look at some of these examples like a, you know, a Nike or Patagonia and Allbirds as these companies that have done such a great job of figuring out how to really understand where they are and make improvements. But when you peel that back, I mean, it is just an insane number of data collection points. It's very difficult. And as you mentioned, the actual way that you calculate this stuff is really hard. And I think the the probably the probably one of the most interesting things that I've found in this journey and talking to folks like you is despite what I think a lot of people may believe, a lot of us really do want to make our businesses more sustainable. A lot of us do want to do these things. It's not a lack of, it's not a lack of interest or a lack of desire. It's actually, it's just hard. And only somebody can only go through enough times to, to, to say, okay, every direction that I turn, there's something bad here. There's something good here. And, this used to look good and now it isn't that that exhaustion eventually just moves things to the back burner we we I, it's like i have a pile of laundry that if i just keep walking by it it's easier for me just to walk by it sometimes than it is to like actually sit down and begin doing it and i think when you can unlock that and help it help make it easier for someone to make better decisions and be able to help improve these things then i think that actually starts to happen so uh, I'm glad that we could help you on that, but I was surprised. I think uh, I knew y'all had done some stuff on Spiffy Green, but didn't realize that that piece was such a challenge for y'all. So glad we were we were able to help and excited too. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, full disclosure, uh, I I was like, let me invest, which you kindly did. And then uh, the, I started this little fund, and we're an investor, so we're we're happy to be investors along the ride with you. Being able to have people convert from customer to investor to me is like the greatest blessing of being able to actually do this stuff. And, you know, when you get somebody who's able to see the problem, feel the problem and say, okay, I can participate in on both sides is, is amazing. So we're excited to have you and the, the tweener fund join as well. Um, to talk to me a little bit about um, some of the trends that you're seeing in the, maybe the greater automotive industry. Like when you're thinking about sustainability, you know, again, maybe it's starting from the the products and the chemicals you use and the water reclamation, like, you're obviously connected to this much larger space uh, in the automotive space. Like what's, what are people talking about? Like how real is this? Is this something that five years from now is still going to be here? You know, in 20 years from now, is this going to be a core part of what's required? Um, Or is this more of a flash in the pan type thing? Like, like, yeah. So, so a couple ways to answer that. So, so we're kind of in this car care part, right. And I, I wouldn't say it's like a core topic that comes up. Um, we 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 just think of it as part of our DNA. So we don't, um, you know, we're not out there issuing press releases every day about how sustainable we are or anything like that. It's just kind of part of who we are. And um, we think that's just 
just how it should be. Um, and you know, we're we're out there fighting a lot of battles every day to disrupt this five hundred billion kind of industry, and it, it's just part of that. And so we spend a lot more energy on you know new products, new markets, and those kinds of things. Um, but it's still important to us. Um, and I would say where I do see a lot of it is in the bigger automotive world, and it's usually wrapped up in the EV discussion. So you know, there's. Um, you know, EVs have been a hot topic for 10 years and they're starting to get real and, you know, the, it gets wrapped up inside of there. Um, and you know, so that, that's where I see a lot of it. There's uh, you know, so I was at a conference and uh, you know, there was someone from Toyota and they were refuting that EVs help. Uh, they, that's a, that's a, they had a much more nuanced way of starting about this, but they talked about, you know, if you look at where carbon comes from and it, not much is coming from vehicles, they, their agenda was they like plug-in hybrids. So they, they would much rather see, they think plug-in hybrids are the solution. So they had a whole rationale behind that, but it's just good to see the conversation, right? Where, um, yeah. And then it's been in the news a lot lately because, uh, number one, there was that, that package, uh, that infrastructure package that had a lot of EV chargers. Nothing's happened with that in typical government fashion. Uh, uh, I just like government no matter who's doing what. So, uh, I, I stay away from politics and government for this reason. Uh, it just goes way too crazy and slow and everyone lies. And so I can't, I can't take it. Uh, and, uh, but then now, you know, as a, as a Tesla and, uh, Elon fanboy, uh, you know, they just went and built it, right? So there's like all this blah, 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 blah. And they're they just like, let's go build this. And they made rational decisions like whenever we can, let's put it at a shopping center or near a Starbucks. And you're like, as a Tesla owner, you're like, wow, this is great. I can, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, what do you do when you're charging? You're like, well, I go to Starbucks for five minutes and come back and my car's done. And it's better than the gas experience where, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge uh, Circle K uh, coffee drinker. Um and, you know, so so now it's been funny to watch all that capitulate in the last two weeks. So Ford just announced they're using the charging infrastructure of Tesla. Uh, and now just yesterday, GM did as well. Um, and I think everyone thought they were going to go build it out. I think they thought they would. And they realized Tesla, by being early, has locked up a lot of those great locations. And it's not easy. And, you know, the you know, they're, they're, Tesla is very good at executing on this stuff and has – you know, a really great supercharging network. So, so that's the kind of stuff that's going on in the mobility world around this topic. It, it kind of comes along with EVs. We're seeing actually a little bit of these, uh, a little bit of a, the disruption of the traditional like convenience store. So typically, obviously you stop at a shell or you stop at a BP or whatever it is, you're, you know what you're going to get. Now you start to see non-traditional uh, uh, convenience store type places putting a charger out front and it, it changes the way you get off the highway. You know, you could get off, like you said, you can get off the highway and you can go hang out in a, in a shell gas station, you know, or maybe, maybe in the future you get off and you go to a target or you get off or you go to a nicer restaurant or whatever it might be. Um, I've, I've seen a lot in the news around uh, QSRs and other big chain restaurants starting at the end chain retailers thinking about, can we use these essentially as like marketing? If we put one of these out front, obviously we can, we can make a little bit of money off of it. But in general, it's to get the eyeballs while you're there, come on inside and let us show you what we have to do. Yeah, one thing I learned from e-commerce was that thing that was previously convenient can quickly become inconvenient. And a good example is malls. So, so you know, 
back, uh, I'm a generation older or maybe two than you are. Um, you know, in the eighties were like malls are so convenient. I go there all day and everything I need is available to me. Um, and then now, you know, you, you go to the mall and you're like, Oh my God, I have to go to the mall. <laughs> and, and it, it's typically very surgical. Most people go to malls for Apple stores. Thank goodness there's still Apple stores or malls or they'd all be out of business. And it's very transactional. You're, you're there to pick up a, an AirPod or something like that. You, you really don't kind of say, I'm going to take two hours and browse around. Um, we've just changed in that way. And, you know, I think that's going to happen to convenience stores. I, I think, you know, they, there's going to be so much better. If you're going there you know, for a snack or food or coffee, there's, there's better situations. And as a, yeah. So I, I get this question from investors a lot with Spiffy where they'll say, all right, if we end up in a day where there's at least half of the cars, new cars are EVs, is that bad for Spiffy? And th it's a fair question. Cause if you look at a pie chart of our services, 25% is oil changes, right? So we know those are going to go away or, or diminish over time. And, but the answer is that when we look at EVs as a cohort, and this includes Tesla, Leafs, the whole, the whole enchilada, and even plug-in hybrids, we get a lot more washes from them. And I see it in my behavior because I don't go to gas stations anymore. You just don't really, I mean, you can, but you're not like, Woo, I'm going to a gas station. Like you don't, you don't have that. You don't pick up that serendipitous run through the tunnel thing. Um, so, so, and then also you have to be careful with these kind of cars. I actually took my Tesla through the tunnel the other day and uh, they changed how the car goes in neutral and it was a whole calamity. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> so, and then you have to worry about the cameras uh, can get scratched by the, you know, it, you know, increasingly they're, they're, they're kind of saying, don't go through the car washes with these hiring, these cars that have all this fancy stuff. Um, so, uh, so you really just kind of wash your car less. So then you have, and then because you're not outlaying, you know, 50 bucks every week or so on gas, you have more, more money to spend on your car. So we see, we pick up two washes. So, so we're already neutral. Um, so what we lose in oil change per EV, we make up in washes, but then the dirty secret of EVs is tires. Um, and we're just starting to see people in the industry talk about this. The tire people know it and they're kind of, uh, you know, game theory is when you have a golden goose, you don't really yell. Hey, look, I've got a golden goose, but the tire people are very excited about EVs. Uh, so the dirty secret as a EV uh, owner for 10 years is you go through tires at least twice as fast. So your, your, so your internal combustion engine is 30 to 40,000 miles on tires. EVs get, get 20 ish. Um, and the reason why is they're torquey and they're very, very heavy because of the batteries. So your, your, your EV is much, much heavier than an internal combustion engine um, at the weight of the vehicle. Um, apples to apples. Do you, but do you, do you think that normalizes out with, with lighter batteries or do you think batteries continue to? I think if we have lighter batteries, we'll just put more of them in there to get range. It'll be as heavy. Fair point. Yeah. If they went half as heavy, we'd use twice as many. So it'd stay as heavy. Huh? I, I, I never knew that. I think that, that is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I mean that, that, the the whole car care industry is going to obviously change pretty dramatically over the next like 20 to 50 years. And I mean, the way that I thought you were going to answer that question is you're more nimble. You're able to to respond, add and remove services. Obviously within seven years, you've discussed, I think, five to 10 different pretty significant changes in seeing something and being able to respond to it and change it in a nimble and fast way, which as you know, the landscape of what cars and how cars are maintained in the future goes, um, I feel like puts you in a, in a, in a great place to be able to do that stuff. Yeah. One, one of my favorite business books, and it's kind of a dry read, actually just gave copies out here. It's Biffy is uh, the innovator's dilemma. 
do. So I pitch. Uh, it's kind of a dry read. It's a Harvard professor, so it's very academic. So I read this. Um, someone recommended it like literally you know, 20 years ago, and I read it, and I was like, I get it, but it doesn't make sense. Like certainly companies don't really act this way. Uh, and then I saw Walmart for 20 years watch Amazon just destroy them, and they were like, we're going to catch them. We, we, yes, we know. We're on it. We got this. And then they're like doing nothing. Right. Um, so, you know, I learned from e-commerce that these big companies cannot innovate and they're not nimble. And, uh, you know, a good example in our world is Jiffy Lube. Um, you know, they, they tried to do mobile. Um, they did some experiments with mobile and the system rejected it because it's a franchise system. So there may be in your town, you may have six Jiffy Lubes. They're probably owned by different people in their, their franchises. Maybe, maybe, two people own three of them or something like that, but they're, you know, there, there's no system there that, that is cohesive. So let's say you have six Diffie Lubes in your town and there's three different operators that own two each. Well, if one of those can be mobile now, it upsets the whole thing breaks because now they can come into each other's territory and the whole system's designed to be very geographically encoded by fractional zip codes. So they, they literally can't do mobile because the, the anti, the system is designed 100% never to do mobile. So how do they undo that? Um, so, so one of the things they've done recently is they've thrown some EV chargers in there. So it's kind of funny because, you know, as an EV operator, you're never going to even think of going to Jiffy Lube to charge your vehicle. And you don't think, what's the best place to charge my vehicle? Oh, I'm going to go to Jiffy Lube because I love that lobby experience so much. Um, the Keurig there you know. is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> best coffee, yeah, best coffee I, in the game. Yeah. You may go to a fancy one. I usually get a, a pot that's been like smoldering all day and it looks like sludge. It's know, the home of the powdered. Like some sludge. It's the powdered, uh, yeah. you get the powdered uh, creamer. It's where it's the best place to get powdered, yeah. powdered creamer. Yeah. yeah. And a little yeah. styrofoam yeah. cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where I want to hang out for for the next thirty minutes. But it's just kind of funny, you know. They're they're like they're they're flailing, and you know. So to your point, I think we'll be able to adapt faster. One thing we are looking at, and uh, we've had some prototypes on this, is how could we do um, you know mobile EV charging? You know, so uh, we are finding a lot of our fleet customers are adding EVs rapidly. And they have this problem where they'll invest. Um, so this happened uh, in the Bay Area. So uh, we have a customer, Sixth Sixt. They're kind of a higher end rental car company, and they put a bunch of put a bunch of uh, Model S's for their customers in SFO. Well, then they and they had all the chargers put in, but then they leaked. So some of them went to San Diego, Seattle, and then like Vegas, and they didn't know what to do with them. So they just let them, let them sit there for a week. And then they went to zero. And, you know, so, so people don't realize these things lose a little bit of charge every day, um, you know, as they run the internal systems and then they will go to zero. And then they're basically a, you know, $60,000 brick. So, so then they were, they were towing them, you know, 200 bucks away to charging stations, to superchargers, and then bringing them back and letting them go to zero again and then charge them. It was, uh, so, so we could, you know, we, we have prototypes. We haven't, we've got small models of this where we can do top off, but we, we have prototypes where we could go do mobile charging. So there, there's a bunch of things we can do there that, you know, the, the customer is going to want. When the can, I mean, the convenience of the convenience of getting your car washed while you're at work and also have it charged would actually be, would be great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're also having a lot of conversations right now with charging companies around offering services at the charging stations. 
So that's an area we'll explore. Uh, also, we're finding outside the Tesla network, we're also having conversations. The There's all these data now that the, the non-Tesla chargers are, there's like only 20% of them are operational at any one time. So what's, you know, the worst, the worst customer experience is you get off at one of these quick serve restaurants that has a charger, a type, a level three charger, and you're a Ford Mach-E owner and it's broken. And uh, unfortunately, that happens like, you know, 80% of the time. Uh, so we're having conversations because we have smart technicians on the road across America. What if we ran routes and checked in on those? Um, yeah, the ironic thing is they're all connected to the cloud, but they say they're good. But then you go to charge them and they they are not good. Um, so I, I don't understand why there's that disconnect. And there's they'll solve that. But we're, we're having conversations with people that want us to go kind of run through that network, make sure it's working because we have feet on the ground. We can do that. And then we could do light repairs on them. A lot of times they need a reboot. Well, that's what I was saying is, is I think uh, if you could help, help to provide that service while they're waiting, then it gives people more, I guess, like efficiency in their life and they can continue to do what they need to do and not have to, I guess where we started, take a Saturday trip out to the car wash or Jiffy Lube and wait for two hours. Um, well, Scott, this has been great. Um, I, I appreciate you taking the the time today. Um, the one final question I would have is: Is there anything that that you wish people knew about Spiffy that they didn't? Like, is there something that you're doing, maybe particularly related to Spiffy Green, that that you wish more people did know um, about what's what's kind of under the hood there? No, I think we've covered most of it. I, I would say we think about it a lot and. You know, another thing you and I have had conversations with is, um, and this springs from, I was uh, in the e-commerce world, I did a lot of speaking, and I ended up in the green room with Al Gore one day. And uh, it was interesting because I was telling him what I was doing at my previous company, and he said, oh, you should talk to my investing arm. So he had set up this whole, I forget the name of it, but he has a whole VC that invests in e-commerce. It does sustainable investing, but it loved e-commerce. And his whole thing was they had done this this robust analysis that showed if you follow a product, it's e-commerce is way more sustainable than traditional retail because the product gets shipped like 12 times in traditional retail and in e-commerce twice uh, if it's an optimized network like Amazon. So, so they had done all this analysis. And, you know, one of the things that, that we don't know how to calculate so we don't take credit for, but we know we're having an impact on the universe is what we're frequently displacing is the movement of the vehicle to the service. Um, now it's probably a one for one. So like consumers will run a route and we'll do four consumers and we save them four trips to the car care. Right. So, so I kind of view that as probably neutral. So we're, we're adding, uh, but then we're also subtracting about what we add, but when we do fleets, we're going and we're doing hundreds of services. And typically the, what we're displacing is those cars being valeted somewhere far away and then moved back. Um, so, so I feel like there we're creating, you know, we're, we're way more offsetting our one trip, um, you know, by a factor of however many vehicles we're, we're dealing with. So, so that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. It's a fun thought experiment to think through. And, you know, how can we, if we think about this trip mindset and it's kind of like the product is moving in this case, the product is the vehicle. How do we eliminate those unnecessary miles that, that are, you know, they're not getting you from point A to point B. So they're not sustainable. They're, really unnecessary in my mind. And then they create a lot of friction in your life because you'd rather be doing other things that are more fun going to your kid's soccer game or whatever. Um, so, so that's something we think about and we don't know how to calculate that, but it, it's, 
we, we feel like it's, it's just kind of like, you know, the icing on the cake of the sustainability measure that, that we're, we're, we're squarely in, in the green here. Um, so, so we, we, we've done what we can measure. We've offset it. And then we're getting this, this unquantifiable benefit that we know we're doing. Well, it's, to me, it's, um, it, we, we have this thought that sustainability is efficiency. You know, it's producing the same product with less resources. And, you know, if you thought about your product as a clean car, when I get in the past, if I would go on a Saturday to drive to a tunnel and go and drive to a shop to go get it done versus I'm already driving to work and you've come to me and you've serviced me there, you've eliminated that waste mile, whatever it is. So there's like a waste mileage that's almost implicit with every transaction that happens at Spiffy. So every car that you service, if you assume that all those car, if you assume there's no net gain in number of washes or number of services, Every time you're going to somebody to take care of that, what you're if it's at their place of work, for example, they're no longer taking that trip to go do it somewhere else. And if it's fleet, you have the waste mileage from all of those cars going off a lot to a Jiffy Lube or to whatever to go get serviced every month. That to me, that's the way that I would think about it because again, the same service is happening. I'm still getting my car wash, I'm still getting the ma- the maintenance, I'm still getting the preventative work I need to. But it's happening in flight of where I already am, and it's limiting that waste mileage from wherever it is. So my guess is there's a pretty easy way to to back into what that is. But you just have to assume that all of these services would happen anyway, and it's just where they happen versus if they've happened, you know, wherever you're headed to. So um, we'll uh, we'll uh, have some beers one day and calculate that out. It'll be fun. sounds great well scott really really appreciate it this has been a great conversation thank you for taking the time to to join us um on uh open source sustainability and hope you have a great rest of your day thanks thanks for having me it was fun conversation thank you to scott for joining us and thank you for listening if you like this show please be sure to leave us a review and follow this podcast wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode this podcast is powered by green places If you're looking to reduce your company's environmental impact and reach your sustainability goals, visit greenplaces.com to learn more. I'm Alex Lassiter, and I'll talk with you next time on 